I'm going to invite the wonderful Claire Thompson to come on up. Let's have a big round of applause for Claire, please. Claire, we're starting a new series tonight, and you're going to tell us all about it. Three, two, one, go. I am. Thank you very much. So good to be here with you. Uh, first thing I want you to do, I've got a few things to say. Before I say them, turn to the person next to you and tell them, if you had to choose one, what superpower you would choose. Go. Okay, then that's enough of that. <laughs> we don't need a big conversation. Okay, so... You're quite enthusiastic about that. You want a superpower, don't you? Well, let me tell you, mine is 100% flying. I know it's selfish and it's just for me, but honestly, oh, I would love to fly. I'm slightly scared of heights, so I don't know how I'd cope with that bit of it, but I would love to fly. And last weekend, I flew. I did. Off my bike, onto the road. And it was... Yeah, for about two seconds, I got total air, absolutely flying. And I actually did have this moment of clarity while I was um, flying through the air. I just, my moment of clarity was, I am totally in the air right now. <laughs> and this is going to hurt. On, it was kind of that thing, you know, when they say things slow down a little bit, it was just like that, and it did, it really hurt, and I've got some amazing bruises, like the best bruises I've ever had in my life. But here I am to tell the tale. So flying, it's not that great, uh, not in that form anyway. But we're going to talk about power, and you need power to fly, and you need power for superpowers, don't you? And we're going to talk about power, but I think power is you know, it's a bit of a dirty word sometimes in our culture, in the world at the moment. Um, you know, if you think about some of the figures around the world who are hungry for power right now. You know, you remember, was it last weekend or the weekend before that kind of whatever was going on in Russia? You know, that fighting between Putin and Prigozhin, this warlord, the head of the Wagner group, who turned on, on Putin and tried to take over Russia and for a few hours. I don't know if you... Were you following it? But we were. We were following it minute by minute. What's happening? What's going to happen? It was like this dirty, lying, deceitful, manoeuvring, desperate, grasping for power of these two people who, to be quite honest, are just ugly with their evil. And power in the wrong hands can be very ugly and grasping for power can be very ugly and that can be a bit of a contrast to when we talk about power and you know Rachel wanted power for healing and that's a good thing to want isn't it and Andy as he was sharing this something about tuning into the voice of God that almost feels like a power from somewhere else and you know, the other day, um, Dave shared about in our Empowered course, a lady who had been struggling with pain for three years since an operation, and she'd had pain medication day and night for three years, unable to sleep, and then got prayer at the Empowered course just the other day, came back the next week, all the pain had gone and had not come back. And then next, the next week, we asked her again, has it come back yet? Because, you know... It's a bit of a struggle to keep the faith sometimes, isn't it, around some of these healing stories. And no, 
No trace of pain. Imagine what that must be like, because pain is a very dominating and difficult thing to live with. And if you've ever lived with pain, what you want is power to overcome it. And it's a totally valid thing to want. If you're in the recovery community or if you're part of, if any of you have ever recovered from an addiction, you will know that it feels like a battle where something has got to come to you, some kind of power to help you overcome addiction to drugs, porn, alcohol, any of the things that that dominate our lives. My friend, I asked him, what's your most powerful moment where you sense the power of God most? He said, I prayed for this woman a few years ago, and he said she had a, a, her hand was totally deformed. And he said, I prayed for her. And before my eyes, her hand totally straightened out. What is that power? And how can we access it? In the Alpha Holy Spirit session, just last week here, one of the guys who was praying was prayed for and tried to stand up and was unable to stand up, fell back into his seat under a power that he couldn't push against for a few moments. What is that power? So in this series, we're going to do five weeks on the power of God. And we are unashamedly going to be talking about whether it's okay to ask for power and what is the nature of the power that makes these things happen? Is it psychological? Are these things imaginary? Is it unnecessary to pursue power encounters with God? So my question today is, when is it okay to want more power? When is it okay to want more power? Because if you're Putin, then it's not okay to want more power, and no one wants to give him more power. And all human beings are flawed, and so are you, and sometimes power in your hands may not be wielded in the best way. But when is it okay to want more power? So that's kind of where we're going. Here's a little Dave Mitchell quote, because he's not here, and this is a good thing to do. Quote Dave Mitchell, next slide. Love without power is frustrated, but power without love is manipulative. He's talking about this idea that um, if you love someone, put your hand up in the room if you love someone, anyone at all. All right, okay. If I was to say to you, <laughs> oh, name, he really loves Joe, it's so sweet. Uh, <laughs> Um, If I was to say to you, brilliant, you are going to love that person or those people or your children or your partner or your parents or anyone that you chose a moment ago, you're going to be the most loving person to that. You're going to have such an amazing love, but you won't have any power at all in that relationship. It's just about love. So you're just going to love them and emit love towards them. And I'm sure you can sense how frustrating it would be to tell any parent you're powerless to show your love to your kids, to express your love, to protect them, to help them, to empower them, to have an amazing life and to be blessed. You will know as a parent you're desperate, not just to love your kids, but to have power to express that love. Here's another amazing quote. This is from Martin Luther King. who thought a lot about power, obviously, because power in his community at the time when he was working and thinking and 
preaching, um, power was being manipulated and used against his whole community of people and eventually took his life. And he said this about power. Power is at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands in the way of love against love. Imagine if that was the world that we lived in where power was used to implement justice. Imagine if that power came to bear upon our world in Europe, in Russia, and things like that. Because power goes together with love. And honestly, if you want to be a more loving person, you need to be wanting more power. And I want to ask you to, as we go through this little journey in the next five weeks, I want to ask you to actually position yourself to ask God for more power in your life. Some of you are already doing that. I know you are because you've got things you're praying for and stuff. But I think that we can go further and that we can ask God to manifest his power amongst us because it is his heart's desire. And um, I think that... I just want to put this sort of picture out as a, an image here of two flames, if you just go to that, Charnel. And in this image is two flames. I don't know if you know, but if you lean two flames near to each other, they become one. They can't stay separate. And I think that power and love in your life and my life is like two flames that need to burn brightly, powering our lives and lighting us up from within and giving us a kind of um, ability to, to actually just change the world. So power and love to get, go together in the kingdom. And Paul actually said this about, power, about love he said, uh, and about power. He said, let's just read this very famous passage. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong and a clanging symbol. And I think that's what is going on around the world in all these power struggles everywhere. There's a lot of gongs and symbols just clashing and clanging away. And it's, it's, it's just this grasping for power. He said, if I've got the gift of prophecy and I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. So while we ask for power... We have to ask for love, or it is nothing. So anything you do that is a move toward of power that was without love is nothing. So that's where we're going. This is the introduction to a series. We're going to look at lots of different aspects of power over the next five weeks. But what we're going to do now is read um, an amazing little miracle, big, massive miracle, from Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read this, um, and let's have a look. Here we are. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. He went up and he touched the beer that they were carrying the man on. 
And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they, all the crowds, were all filled with awe. And they praised God and said, a great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So it's an amazing little story, and I'm just going to draw out a few thoughts from it. First of all, the context is just before this, Jesus has healed the centurion servant from a distance just by a word. And then immediately after this dramatic miracle... Some people arrive, some people arrive from John the Baptist, John the Baptist's followers, and they come to him and they, with a message from John the Baptist who is in prison. And the message is, are you the one? And now you might think, well, what's that mean? One what? They would have totally known what that meant because to a Jewish person living at that time, they were desperate for the one to arrive. This figure that they had been prophesied and promised for centuries who would come and deliver them from their oppressors. And so anyone who asks that question is asking, is this the moment of deliverance? Has the power finally arrived to help us out of this hellhole that we're living in because we're oppressed by the Romans here? So are you the one? And Jesus' answer to them is, go and tell him this. So what does Jesus say? Does he say, yep, I'm the one? No. What he says is, go and tell John that blind people are being healed, lame people are walking, people with leprosy are being cleansed, and the dead are being raised. And the kingdom of God is being preached. So Jesus seems to say, when they say, are you the one, he seems to say, these acts of power authenticate who I am. Yes, I'm the one. And how do you know it? Because power comes out from my ministry for healing and freedom and deliverance, which is a deeply challenging idea to us because we're the followers of Jesus. I don't know if you know that. That's why you're here tonight. Um, We're the followers of Jesus. And what authenticates the ministry of Jesus in the world is not a lot of talking. It is acts of power that look like healings and deliverances, people being cleansed, and even dead people being raised. That's challenging, isn't it? How many dead raisings have we got going on? Has anyone ever prayed for someone to be raised from the dead? I have. It's hard and a difficult thing to enter into. It's a difficult idea to even get hold of, but there's something in the Gospels that seems to say or give permission for us to go there and do things and ask things of God that are outrageous in a human sense. Now, there's a whole load of stuff we could say about that, but let's just zoom right in onto this amazing little story. So, First of all, to say that, Luke, I think that when you hear these little stories from the Gospels, they're they're recorded with these little details. And what the details do is they say to you, this really happened. This was like an event. It's not a parable where 
there's this perfect picture being presented. There's just a few details thrown out. So he says a couple of things. He just says Jesus is going to this town called Nain, and he's got a crowd of people with him. I don't know if you noticed that. And at the town gate, so that's another detail, at the town gate they meet another crowd of people. And it's this widow and this a man who's laid out on a funeral bier, which would have been an open bed where, and he, where he would have been covered. And so you've got these, this crowd coming to the town gate and meeting another crowd going out. And Jesus goes up to this woman. And he is really moved. And he puts his hand on her and he says, don't cry. And why is that an important thing to record in that story? If you grew up in the uh, 1980s, like I did, 70s, 80s, then you might remember what it was like when Princess Diana was alive. Who can remember that? (laughs) Quite a few of you will be able to. And Princess Diana was the people's princess. I mean, we all know a bit more about her since the crown, okay? But um, we loved Princess Diana. Actually, I've got my husband, Greg, he's, he had a painting of Princess Diana in his bedroom when I met him. That's quite unusual, isn't it? He's very unusual, Greg is. And his parents had it commissioned by a local artist because he really liked Princess Diana because she was really lovely and people have questioned, <laughs> she's very beautiful, um, what was Diana's appeal? And she was for sure a very beautiful princess-like person. But why has she had this lasting appeal? And what most people seem to say is the thing that's really kept Diana in people's hearts as the people's princess is because she had this amazing compassion. And there's this famous moment in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic was raging around the world. And honestly, it's hard to describe if you weren't there, but Everyone was terrified. People were terrified that you could catch AIDS by touching something that someone with AIDS had had. And it was, you know, there was this absolute huge sort of, uh, you know, emotional uh, struggle to try and get on top of this terrifying disease. And there was, you know, government announcements and everything. And in the middle of all of this, Princess Diana goes to a hospital in Harlem in New York and she hugs this little boy who's got AIDS. He's got it from um, a blood transfusion, I think. And it it literally broke. It didn't break the internet because there wasn't much internet then. But it broke into the kind of media with this sense of this compassion of this woman who wasn't distant at all but was deeply compassionate. And she went on and campaigned about landmines and she put her body in the places where um, she could have been blown up by landmines because she was this compassionate woman and everyone loved her. So if you want to know what that moment might have been like when Jesus says to this woman, don't cry, I think you've got to get that kind of image into your head because obviously we know gentle Jesus, meek and mild, he's lovely, he's really nice and everything, but you know, Jesus is God in human form. And he is moved. And the word that the, Greek, the, the gospel writers use to describe that being moved, you know, he's moved and he says to the woman, don't cry, is splagnitsomai. Right, say that with me because it's a brilliant Greek word. Splagnitsomai. Say it. Splagnitsomai. 
Do you know what it means? Some of you will definitely know what it means. It means moved to the bowels, okay? So it kind of means your guts are moved with compassion. It's talking about the feeling of compassion that Jesus had when he went up to this woman. He's absolutely gut-wrenchingly moved with compassion and he sees this woman. Now, it's easy to miss that when you read these gospel stories and it's easy to miss that God's like that. He's moved by your condition and my condition and the human condition. He's moved when Rachel is sitting alone waiting for the dreaded chemotherapy. He is not a distant God. He is moved with compassion and he puts his hand on this woman and he says, don't cry. So when we're talking about power, because the next thing that happens is mind-bending. Power is manifest in this moment, and a dead man sits up. I mean, you have to go there in your imagination when you read these stories. You can't just sit back and go, oh, that's interesting. A dead man sat up. And remember the crowds, there's this massive crowd of people that have come with Jesus and the crowd of people that are around. And so there was like a huge amount of witnesses to this moment. What, you know, what can you imagine it? The collective gasp as this man sits up because power has come to him and raised him from the dead. So there's these two things that come together in this moment, the compassion of Jesus, this gut-wrenching sorrow and pain and love and desire to bring something good to this poor woman who's absolutely devastated and then a move of power that comes and he is raised from the dead interestingly it's the Jesus in the account it says the Lord turned to the man before that, it's talked about Jesus. And, and this is the first moment in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is called the Lord. He's always called Jesus until this moment. Because actually, what's it going to take? What kind of power is it going to take to raise someone from the dead? It's going to take a Lord. The Lord of heaven and earth is here on the planet in this moment, gut-wrenchingly moved with passion, with compassion, and power comes out of him. Now, I think this is again deeply challenging for us because we're desperate to see power change the world, aren't we? You've probably all got something where you think, God, if your power would come into this situation and change it, this person could be healed, this person could be set free, this situation in the world, this injustice could be overturned. You've all got things where you feel like power is needed for this. But have you got the gut-wrenching compassion that God is calling out of you for these causes where change needs to happen? Have you got it? I think it's really contested ground. I think, to, if I'm really honest, in my life, the strongest emotions that I have are around self-protection, being quite annoyed with certain people, and wanting to retreat and go and read my Kindle in my bedroom. My, my kind of my gut-wrenching passion is sometimes and often reserved for me. And I might be annoyed. Maybe you're an annoyed person, an angry person who struggles a little bit with anger. And if you're really honest, 
Anger, that powerful emotion of anger, is most often directed towards somebody else, and it's not directed towards injustice. You know, so it's contested ground, because the very same ground in your life and my life, our emotions, is the one that the gospel seemed to say, in that place, this passion and compassion needs to be directed towards the causes of God and the kingdom, Jesus Christ. They need to, that's where they need to be directed, and actually often they're directed towards self-protection. Honestly? And if you're somebody who's, who's had hard things happen to you in life, and it's, it's easy to say this stuff and it's hard to overcome them, but you will probably be aware that you're a little bit detached or hard-hearted or there's a struggle to forgive or um, to find freedom enough to actually have enough emotion left over to really care about things. And I think in our culture, in our world, there is a bit of a struggle to care about things. People are a bit exhausted, weary, all sorts of things have been happening in the last few years. We're a bit depleted. The passion is a bit lacking. And I think there's a call on us to say, God, would you draw out of me a passion that allows me to reach out to people like you did, Jesus, and allows the flow of power to come afterwards? And I think that love makes our lives a safe place for the power of God to be manifest. Love makes you safe if you've got power in your hands. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? So the next thing that happens is Jesus says, get up, and power flows. And this is what the power of God is like. And Jesus has been telling people to get up for 2,000 years, hasn't he? He's always telling people to get up. Get up off your mat. Get up from there. Come over here. Get out of your tomb, Lazarus. Get up. Get up. Because when the power of God is on the move, God is getting people up. Some of you have been got up by God this year. You've met God, and he has told you to get up out of the thing that you've been struggling with that has been overpowering you and you've been able to walk out of a prison. You've found some freedom and it's been really amazing. We have said a couple of times that the re- having the recovery community amongst us is so encouraging for us because actually there's a lot of people getting up. And when people get up, they want other people to get up as well. Because when the power of God is on the move, it is a power that enables people to get up. And that's fantastic. So when is it okay to want more power? When you've got something in your sights where you want someone to get up out of sickness, out of the darkness, out of the traps, out of the prisons, when you have got passion for people and you want them to get up, then then the power of God begins to flow. There's twin flames of passion and love for people and power they've got to come together. And so the people say, what do they say when they see these things come together, when they see Jesus move in compassion and then say to the man, get up? They see this amazing miracle and they say, they conclude, 
God has finally come to help his people. And you know something? I think that you know people who don't even know what they're aching and longing for. They're desperate for freedom. They're desperate for um, help. They're desperate for healing. They're desperate for meaning and purpose. They don't know what will give it. But when the church, the followers of Jesus, are moving in the twin powers of love and power, and things start to happen, then they will say, God has finally come to help his people. And that is actually, the reason why we're doing this series on power is not because we're just desperate for power for no reason. It's because we want a world that is lost and broken to know Jesus. We're desperate for the world to know Jesus. And so the right posture is to get this, these two things going together in your life. I'm going to finish with a little story. I was chatting to Mel last night. It's a story about Mel. It's her test, a bit of her testimony. There's loads more to it. But we were just talking about this, saying how do love and power go together? And she was saying that three years ago at David's Tent, which is a worship festival, and she was trying to worship, and it was a little bit not flowing for her. And she found herself asking the question, why, God, don't I really feel your love? And also, why don't I really love you, like feel love for you? What is the answer to that? Because, you know, sometimes when you're in church, I'm sure you might have felt it, or in certain settings, other people seem to get it. You ever had that thing when you're looking around and you're thinking, everyone else is getting something here and I'm not? By the way, a lot of people think that, so we're all just good at covering over and hiding it. But in this moment, why can't I love you? And why don't I feel your love for me? And in that moment, she felt God show her a scene from her life from quite a few years before. And in that scene, someone was really hurting her. And she was praying to God at the time, saying, can't you just stop, you know, can't you just come in and make this, this stop? And she felt like God just didn't. He didn't help. And she, in this moment, in this worship tent, she felt like God showed her that she'd hardened her heart towards God in that moment. And that that is the reason why you can't feel my love for you and why you find it hard to love me. And so, in that sort of setting, just in her own heart, quietly, she began to repent and God showed her a picture that helped her to do that. And in the picture, it was the room where, and the scene that she was, had been thinking of. And in this scene, she saw Jesus really clearly. And he was weeping. And he was weeping over her. And you know, in that moment, it was enough for Mel to know that God was weeping, Jesus was weeping. Not that he walked her out of it and set her free. She is free of that now. That was in the future at that point. But that God was there with her, full of compassion, gut-wrenching compassion for what she was going through. And that was enough. And it actually, something happened to her 
Now, she can't remember what happened next because actually she just can't remember it. But her friends that were next to her told her afterwards that she shot back like a, as, as if a force had pushed her back onto the ground and she shot back onto the ground and was out cold for quite a, a while, a few minutes. And something was happening to her, her soul, her spirit, her body, her mind, her heart, that began an, a huge work of healing and release and freedom. And she said that she woke up feeling different, like a different person. And I think that's just a brilliant illustration of why love and power have got to come together. And in your life, that's what's got to happen if you want the power to flow. Is you've got to face the things where love is kind of like not flowing. Love is being sort of blocked for some reason. Because the things that stop the flow of love, like unforgiveness or pain, or hurt, or harm that is unresolved, the same things, or anger, or bitterness, or, you know, anything else that you can think of that stops the flow of love is the same stuff that stops the flow of power, because you can't separate the love and the power of God. They have to be together. So that's kind of where I, I want us to start this series, is just recognizing that we are built and designed to carry the power of God. You are absolutely called into the ministry of dead-raising, leper-cleansing, blind-curing, you know, death-curing. You're called into that ministry, but it is a, a serious call. It's a come-up into the best version of yourself. Deal with your stuff. Find healing if you need healing. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Because this call is to wield power that is a bit mind-blowing. And power, as Dave Mitchell often says, is dangerous. I think you don't give a power tool to a baby. You know, it would be stupid. You know, the power of God is a dangerous thing. But somehow it becomes safe in our lives for the power of God to work and move if we have great love. So my question to you is what, what needs to happen in your life today, right now, at the moment, for an increase of the power of God to begin to flow? What needs to happen? And for some of you, you know exactly what it is. You already know what is blocking the power is to do with, with hardness of heart. And I'm just going to suggest to you that, that maybe all of us have got hardness of heart, and that that hardness of heart is a serious thing. It's no doubt in Scripture, all the way through Scripture, God keeps on returning to this point that your hearts are hard and they need to not be hard. And it's not some sort of like theoretical thing where he just doesn't like hard hearts. It's because you're designed for the love and power of God to be manifest in you. And hardness of heart restricts that presence within you. So I'm going to invite you actually to stand. You don't have to at all. But if you have something on your mind where you think this is where the power of God needs to flow. I am desperate to see the power of God for this person or even in your own life 
or for a healing or for a cause or for an injustice, if you've got a sense where you think, I need to up a level in the power of God, then I'm just going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray um, for all of us, myself included, that God will teach us what it is that has to happen in us so that his love and power can be fully released. So as we stand together, maybe yeah, you guys come on up and um, just ask you to close your eyes if it helps you to focus. And I'll ask you a question. What can't you stand? What do you just feel like this passion in you that you can't stand it, that this is in the world? It may be somebody that you really love that is just hurting or sick. Maybe you can't stand the fact that the church is a bit weakened sometimes and doesn't seem very powerful. Well, maybe there's a cause or an injustice that you can't stand that this exists. That's kind of where the spirit might be saying to you, Ask me for power. Ask me for more love. So, Father God, we turn to you. And we are just human beings. We are not gods. We are not superheroes. We're human beings. But we're desperate to see your love and power manifest in our world and for people to find out about you. We're desperate to be healed ourselves from the inside out so that your love and power can flow through us freely, without restriction. So, Father God, I pray, let your spirit come now. Just put your hands out if you want to, and I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and do what he alone can do. I pray, Holy Spirit, come down in this room. Come help us. Come renew our minds, God. I pray that right now you would cause something to come into people's minds where, just like in Mel's story, you highlighted something, a moment to her. I feel like there's a few people in the room where God wants to show you a moment where you hardened your heart. Today, he wants to show it to you. Now, you, you may not be able to deal with it totally today, but you can begin to move towards dealing with it. So what is God showing you? For others, I think there's some people who God wants to put a cause on your heart that is going to be quite painful for you to carry, actually. I think that there are some things like Emily Quilter in our midst here. She's, she's somebody who, when she was 18, she went to a lep leprosy mission and it got so under her skin that for the last 10 years, she's not been able to forget the problem of leprosy in our world. She's doing a PhD in it now. And actually, you know, there are some people God is wanting to awaken you to injustice. And I pray, God, now that your love and power would come and meet us. Come. Let it be that people say, wow, God has finally come to help his people when they look at your life. us, deal with our stuff, and help us to be a power-filled community.